and welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 30 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today, we're going to be discussing questions 80, 81, and 82. Now, uh, this week we're talking about the difference between our Protestant views on the Lord's Supper and the Roman Catholic views of the Mass. And uh, this week, things are going to get a little bit heated. So far, Heidelberg has kept the dialogue pretty mild and has aimed more toward articulating Protestant orthodoxy than at attacking Catholic teaching. But not today. The final statement in the answer to question 80 states that the Catholic Mass is nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a condemnable idolatry. Now, when you call a church practice a condemnable or an accursed idolatry, you've taken the gloves off. You've decided that it's time not just to articulate something, but to attack and defend. So uh, we need to know what's going on. Let's jump into this discussion. Let's try to get our mind around why things have gotten so heated over bread and wine. So let's look at question 80. Question 80 says this, how does the Lord's Supper differ from the Roman Catholic Mass? And here's the answer. And I'm going to break this answer up into two parts. Uh, here's the first part of the answer. The Lord's Supper declares to us that our sins have been completely forgiven on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ who with his very body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father where he wants us to worship him. Now, that part of the answer to question number 80, it's summarizing what we've learned over the past few weeks. The Lord's Supper is, within our Protestant understanding, a memorial meal declaring that we who trust in Christ by faith have had our sins forgiven once and for all. When Jesus died on the cross, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and his sacrifice on the cross secures our forgiveness once and for all. No additional sacrifice is needed. That's what the first line is talking about. But the supper also declares that we are united to Christ by faith. We are his very body. We are his bride. We are his family. And when we come together, uh, we are declaring him to be Lord and we are uh, displaying our union with him. And, and that's important because our Lord is alive. He's alive in heaven right now with the Father, and we worship Him as Lord, Savior, and King. And the Supper reminds us of these truths, and we celebrate these truths, and we do this until the day when He returns to actually be with us again. And in that day, all things are going to, all kinds of things are going to take place. But He is going to, again, eat this meal with us. Um, so that's the first half of this question, and that's basically just saying, hey, what do we believe about the Lord's Supper? Now, the second half um, is, all right, well, what does the Roman Catholic Church believe about the Supper, and how are these things different? So what is different between this and what the Roman Catholic Church teaches? Well, here's the summary. The Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have their sins forgiven through the suffering of Christ, unless Christ is still offered for them daily 
by the priest. Now, when it refers to the living and the dead, it's talking about those who have gone on. They're no longer alive. It's talking about also us. We are the ones who are living. And our sins, according to the Catholic Mass, are not forgiven as a once-for-all act of faith, but they are forgiven over through a process that is administered by the priest, and the Mass being that part of that. It also teaches that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, where Christ is therefore to be worshipped. Now, I'm going to explain that. And then finally, thus, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and the condemnable idolatry. So, Heidelberg points out here three ways that our theology differs from Catholic teaching. Number one, the Mass does not declare our sins forgiven. We understand in the Lord's Supper that when we come, we're not having our sins forgiven all over again. We're just remembering what Christ has done to pay the price for our sins. We are forgiven by grace through faith, according to Scripture. But the Mass of the Catholic Church doesn't teach that at all. The mass of the Catholic Church doesn't teach that um, by faith and by grace your sins are forgiven, but through this sacramental process that forgiveness can be not necessarily perfectly achieved, but it can continually be obtained part and parcel of it. So that's the first thing where we differ. The Mass does not declare our sins forgiven. Number two, the Mass is not just a memorial of Christ but a time when Christ is actually present in the bread and wine and therefore is to be worshipped as such. So what we believe is that we are remembering Christ's body and blood broken and shed for us. We are remembering and we are being reminded in our hearts that our faith is not in ourselves but is in Him. And and we're not worshiping bread and wine as though Jesus is actually present. These things are symbols, signs and symbols through which we are strengthened in our memory of the grace of God. But the Catholic Mass is different. The Catholic Mass teaches that Christ is actually present through this process of transubstantiation. The bread becomes his host or his body and the wine becomes his blood. And therefore, Jesus is present in the, the service and he He is to be worshipped. In other words, the bread and the wine are to be worshipped as though this is Christ in our presence. And then the third way that our teaching differs from Catholic teaching is that the Mass teaches that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not a once-for-all sacrifice. And where we believe that the, the single sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to save all who believe, they believe that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross has to be brought back into existence, in a sense, every time that the Mass is done, uh, that the Eucharist is um, enjoyed by the church, if you will. And all of this, all of these three things cause the Heidelberg to condemn the Roman Catholic Mass as a cursed idolatry. Now, for some of you, the theology of the Mass, even the, the term Mass, is, is odd, it's strange, it's not familiar, it's something of a mystery. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a little bit of time to talk about what the Catholic Church actually teaches, even though we've looked at some of that, and, and then we'll see more clearly how this is different from our understanding. So the word Mass... 
uh, refers to the Eucharist. And Eucharist, um, it, it's a, it comes from the, the, the Greek term for thanksgiving. It's the time of thanks. And so the word mass is specifically referring to the Eucharist, which is that ceremony commemorating the Last Supper of Jesus with bread and wine. So when you hear mass, you would, you would think Catholic worship service. But when you hear Eucharist, you need to think the Catholic version of the Lord's Supper. The term Mass, though, it actually means the dismissal of the people. Uh, And early on, uh, the church celebrated what we would understand as two Masses or two um, dismissals of the people. The early church divided their worship liturgy into two separate parts. The first part was the service of the Word where anyone was permitted to attend, believers and unbelievers. Everyone was admitted to come. They were going to hear the scriptures taught. And when this service was completed, the people would be dismissed, the mass. That's what that refers to, the dismissal of the people. And then after unbelievers were dismissed, a second service, the service of the table, would begin. And only baptized believers in good standing within the church were admitted to the table. And this was often called the Mass of the Faithful and included um, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, over the years, uh, this practice has changed a little bit within the Roman Catholic Church, but the language is still the same. Today, the Mass refers to the Catholic worship service, and in this service, the main event is the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Catholic priests may give in this Mass, they may give a short um, you know, 10, 15-minute homily or teaching from the Scriptures, but the main event of Catholic worship is the bread and the wine, which they believe to be the actual body and blood of Jesus. Now, we learned last week that uh, the heart of Ca- the Catholic understanding of the Lord's Supper is that during the Mass, a miracle takes place by which the substance of the ordinary elements of bread and wine changes into the substance of the body and blood of Christ. This is called transubstantiation, and it means that the Catholic Mass, the Catholic Eucharist, is not just a service where we remember Jesus' death. The Eucharist is actually a sacrifice. In their theology, Jesus is actually present in the bread and wine. His sacrifice on the cross is brought into the room, and the faithful feast on Christ again and again to obtain new mercy and find new grace. And they need that because, remember, their sins aren't forgiven, um, so they need that new mercy and they need that new grace. That's part of the sacramental system. The Eucharist is often referred to as the bloodless sacrifice, but make no mistake, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the bread and wine are the body and blood of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, in his book, um, The Good News We Almost Forgot, Kevin DeYoung quotes Scott and Kimberly Hahn. They are popular Catholic apologists, and um, they help us understand what it's like to experience the Mass with these things in mind. Here's a quote. So one evening, we had an opportunity, this is Scott and Kimberly talking, one evening we had an opportunity to be at a Mass where there was a Eucharistic procession. Uh, Obviously, uh, this Eucharistic procession doesn't take place in every church and in every instance, but in this particular instance, they had the opportunity to, to attend the Mass, and there was a Eucharistic procession at the end. They say, we've never seen this before, but as they watched... 
row after row of grown men and women kneel and bow when the elements passed by. Now, the elements are contained in this vessel called the monstrance. And the the monstrance is the vessel that is used to carry the host, the bread, or the body of Christ, and the wine that had been uh, transubstantiated. And those things are carried, and they have to be revered and adored by the people. And that's what's happening here. So here's what they say. As I watch row after row of grown men and women kneel and bow when the elements passed by, I thought, these people believe that this is the Lord, not just bread and wine. If this is Jesus, that is the only appropriate response, to kneel and bow. If one should kneel before a king today, how much more before the king of kings? And, and that's, that's the idea. That's what they believe, that this is actually the body and blood of Christ. And therefore, these elements and the, the, the vessel that is being used to carry them deserves reverence and adoration and worship. But least... Scott and Kimberly were honest enough to continue on. They said, but as I continue to ruminate, what if it's not? If that is not Jesus in the elements, then what we are doing is gross idolatry. And and I quote that, and I'm I'm thankful to Kevin for putting it in the book, because it it really brings um, into stark contrast what is taking place here. If this is the body and blood of Christ, then it is to be worshipped as though Christ is in our presence. But if it is nothing more than bread and wine, then it is idolatry. And that's the conclusion that Heidelberg has come to. If the bread and wine are only bread and wine meant to remind us of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, then the Catholic Mass is idolatry and should be condemned as such. Now, there's a lot more that could be said here. There's a lot more argumentation, a lot more in the history. But... I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that and trust that you can study some of these things on your own. So let's look at question 81. Who are to come to the Lord's table? The answer is this, those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their continuing weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites are those who are unrepentant, however, uh, I'm sorry, hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So, what are we saying here? Communion is for the broken believer who has come to understand that we need a Savior and Christ died to save us. It is not for people who profess something that isn't true of them. It's not for the hypocrite who says, I'm not a Christian, I don't trust in Christ, but I'm going to do this because I want to be a part of some religious spiritual service. It's not for religious people who simply want to be a part of some mystical thing. It's not for those who think that the meal actually affords them some saving merit. Right? The meal does not save you. This meal is for the broken. We come to the table because we hate our sin. We come to the table because we know we need forgiveness. We come to the table in our weakness, and there we find our strength and our hope, not in the actual bread and wine, but in the memory and, and reminder of the finished work of Christ on the cross. You see, the supper strengthens our faith It reminds us of our need and of Jesus' supply. The supper calls us to repentance and faith again. It refocuses our desire to live a faithful life in response to Jesus' saving grace. And so if, if that is you, then come to the table. 
Then come to the table and remember and receive. But there's one more question. Question 82. Are those to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they say and do that they are unbelieving and ungodly? Now, this is a great question. We need to consider this. And here's the answer. No. No, we don't admit to the table those who are knowingly unbelieving and ungodly. That would dishonor God's covenant and bring down God's anger upon the entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and His apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. Now, uh, there's a couple of ways we can handle this. I'm going to go back, and I want us to keep our minds in question 81 at the end of that about hypocrites and unbelievers. But when, when unbelievers come to the table, they aren't welcome. They're not welcome because the Lord's Supper is a family meal. For an unbeliever to eat the bread and drink the cup is its hypocrisy. They're not truly believing. They're not truly trusting in Christ. They have no place there. The Supper is not, however, it's not for perfect people. It's for broken people. But that does not mean that everyone can come. You see, there are times in the life of the church when sin has to be addressed, and not just from the pulpit on a, in a general way, but in a very specific and individual way. And unfortunately, there are times when those who are being rebuked for their sin and being called to repentance, when they refuse to repent. And we call that church discipline. And when members are under discipline and they are refusing to turn from their sin, it has been the practice of Jesus' followers, and it is the practice of Cornerstone Baptist Church, to withhold the elements of bread and wine from them. Now, why do we do this? Well, we do this to show them that unrepentant sin separates us from the fellowship of God. It it separates us from fellowship with God, and it creates a barrier to fellowship with His people. So not everyone can come. If you are um, not a believer in Christ, you you have no business at the table. This is a family meal. If if you are a hypocrite who doesn't understand the meal and you're coming with some uh, religious ideas that aren't consistently biblical, then you shouldn't come. The the bread and the wine is not for you. If, If you are an unrepentant individual who is under the discipline of the congregation, then you have no place at the table. Not everyone can come, but for those who are true, baptized believers in Christ, who've come to see their sin for what it is, and who have put their hope in Jesus to redeem them and bring them to God, to those who are seeking to live not a perfect life, but a faithful life in Christ Jesus, well, they're welcome at the table to to be reminded of all the benefits of Christ and to feast on those again, and in so doing, to be encouraged and and to renew our desire to live a faithful and good life of honoring and obeying our Lord. I hope this has been helpful for you. Next week, we're going to continue our study. Uh, I hope you will join me again as we look at Lord's Day 31, and we'll be going through questions 83, 84, and 85. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play in order to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.